Prince College Podcast, a ministry of Prince Avenue Baptist Church where our goal is to lead you to trust and follow Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, howdy, y'all. How are we doing? Woo! Woo! I love it. So Adam did come to us a couple months ago and said to the apprentices, I want you to think of one thing that you want all college students to know. And I really hope you can guess this. The best part about Prince College is, okay, we should have practiced as the choir. The best part about Prince College is being connected to the local church. And I know that for my entire life, I have loved going to church. I grew up a pastor's kid, a church planner kid. Maybe some of y'all have the same story. So my job as a church planner kid, I was supposed to taste the donuts that we served to guests so they weren't poisonous. And uh, as I got older and grew a relationship with Jesus, I loved serving in kids ministry or, and I loved my high school ministry that I had. That small group was incredible. But as I was thinking about, okay, Emma, you can't stand here for 35 minutes and just tell people your favorite things about the church. That's not not what they need. And so I was trying to think about why I was coming to church. And as I thought about it, I I really wondered for a second. I was like, did I come because I knew my parents were checking Life 360 on Sundays and Wednesdays when I came to Athens? Did I want to get gold stars and be a good Christian and a holy Christian? Like, what was my purpose in coming to church? And as I continued to think why, I thought of another time in my life when I just asked the question why. And so we're going to go back to seventh grade Emma, and I'm really sorry, we have to go back there. But Seventh grade, Emma, I was playing soccer at the time in the fields behind my house. And I loved soccer, I'd been playing for years, and my dad had been the coach. And one thing you need to know about my dad, he's probably gonna hate this, but the thing you need to know about Craig's story is that he is the most precious human alive. And so everybody put your hands like this, I need to see it. If you see people doing this, this is not some sort of sign language, it's just a weird Emma thing. This means precious. So Craig's story, precious. And the two rules he had for me as I was playing soccer was to do my best and to have fun. That was it. It was nice and easy and breezy. But as I grew up, I wanted to get better at soccer and I hoped to play at the next level in high school. And so we knew that do your best and have fun probably wasn't gonna cut it. So I found this new coach who was the opposite of that. Very aggressive, yelling all the time, told me that that's the reason I have a loud voice today, just so you know. Like he was like, nobody's gonna want you if you can't talk up. And I said, okay. So, so anyway, we did really good that rec season and he asked, he said, do you want to play indoor soccer in the winter so you can stay conditioned. And I was like, sure, no problem. I'll be a goalkeeper, it'll be amazing. So anyway, we sign up, we go to Creekside Indoor Soccer Facilities and I walk in with like purple cleats, neon green socks and like an orange top with a yellow um, penny from Dick's Sporting Goods, such a fit. And the opponents we're playing, they have pre-wrap that matches their uniforms and their socks and their cleats and they're just like, models like it's ridiculous so anyway I walk up into the goal and we have no subs and I'm standing in goal and within the first like seven minutes of the game they scored five times and if you don't know how soccer works that's not how soccer's supposed to work so I'm standing there in the goal crying wiping snot from my face and I like I'm just a mess and I look over to the sidelines and my dad's not there and I'm like Craig what what are you doing? Like, you're supposed to be here with me. You're supposed to be fighting this out with me. And so as I'm wiping snot and like touching the ball, so hoping they won't kick it, I roll it back to midfield. And, and so, and I turn around and I hear my dad behind me and he had walked from the sidelines behind the goal and he just stood there the whole half. Hey, do your best. I'm proud of you. I love you. Have fun. You're doing great. You almost blocked that shot for the entire <laughs> 
He was lying, guys. He was absolutely lying. But the whole half, he was standing there just reminding me why I was playing the game. Halftime comes, we are down 12 to nothing, right? So I'm just feeling great. So I run over to my coach and I'm like, what, what am I doing here? Why am I here? And he says, I don't know if you're gonna play like that. And I said, cool, 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 cool. So I run back to the goal and again, crying as a seventh grader does. And my dad is still there. He is still telling me, hey, do your best, have fun. I'm proud of you, I love you. And in that moment, as silly as it was, losing a soccer game 18 to nothing, I had to carry out the rest of that season thinking one of two ways. I had two voices that were yelling at me the entire game. One was from a dogmatic coach who wanted me to perform, and the other was from a loving father who wanted to remind me why I love something. And maybe you've had those same thoughts about the church. Maybe you grew up and you were told by your parents or older people, you are who you hang out with, and there's no reason you shouldn't be in church. It's how you're gonna be a good Christian. And while some of those things are true, it's not the words of a loving father, but thankfully, we have a God who loves us, who has made us and crafted us for this purpose. And it's not that he just tells us to go to church. No, he explains why he wants us to go to church. So I pray that tonight that you are not sitting here thinking, Emma is yelling at me, telling me to come to church. I already know that. That's why I'm here on a Wednesday. That's why I drove 23 minutes from campus to be here on a Wednesday. It's because I know I'm supposed to go to church. No, I want you to see in God's word why he wants you to be to church, go to church. And so if you will turn with me to Ephesians 2 while I kind of set the scene, it is so, so cool. Like, I'm gonna geek out a little bit about the Bible because it's just the best thing ever. So the Bible is so cool because God uses broken, sinful people to tell incredible stories. And that's what happened in the life of our author. So Paul is the author of Ephesians and he's writing this letter, letter to the Ephesians. But before he was Paul, his name was Saul. And he was a Jewish Pharisee who was sent to kill and persecute those in the church. Y'all, and now we're gonna spend the next 30 minutes talking about why we should come to church from the same guy who persecuted it. Like, it's just crazy what God does because he is just, oh, gosh, just the best. Can we get an amen? Amen. amen, I liked that, all right. So, looking at Ephesians 2, the first 10 verses that we're gonna walk through lay out the gospel. And you're gonna be thinking, okay, Emma, you want us to know why we need to come to church? Why are we talking about the gospel? Well, the church is the gathering of believers. What are we believing in? The gospel, I love that, this is so fun. So before we can know why we need the church, we need to know first why we know Christ. So if you will, read with me. We're gonna kind of bounce around these first 10 verses, but hopefully we'll get more fluid in the back half. So these first 10 verses, Paul first says in verse one that we were dead in the trespasses and sins. That's us, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. We were all, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Y'all, these verses are not excluding anybody. Paul is writing this letter to a church who has both Jewish believers and Gentile believers. The Jewish believers who were the ones who were doing everything to try and live perfect and holy lives following the law and they couldn't do it. The Gentiles were the pagans who were running from God as far as they could. They could not do it. Everyone had sin that separated them from God. It was sin that left them dead and our sin today has that exact same consequence. It's not something that was just applied 2,000 years ago. It happens today. And it may not be the big sins that you think about, like murder or adultery. Like, we know those things are bad. Our courts, our justice systems see that those things are bad. But it's the things that try to exalt ourselves before Christ. 
It's the sin of self-dependency, thinking you can do it on your own, of which I am guilty. It is the sin or addiction to alcohol or porn or it's an addiction to food that makes you think you'll be satisfied in something other than Jesus, of which I'm guilty. It may be the sin of pursuing success and trying to work really hard so you can be the best, so that you can be lifted up and you can be glorified. That is things that separate us from God every single time. When we try to exalt ourselves, when we try to make ourselves better than we are, which is dead, it doesn't work, we're still dead. And the things that we sin, the choices that we make, separate us from a holy and perfect and righteous God. Well, let's look back in the text. Where does it say it? Mm. Oh, verse three. Among whom we were all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. Sin perverts every intention that the Lord had in making you. And I mean that every intention. We were made and we were created in the garden to have relationship with him, and yet we hid. We were made to work the earth, earth, and now we strive for success that is unattainable. We were wired to worship, and now we worship ourselves. And we were created, and we were called very good in the garden, and yet when sin entered the world, we ran from the one who called us very good. When sin came in, we should be left for destitute, and it's not excluded for anybody. We all carry that weight, but wait, even, even when we were left for destitute, the Old Testament, the part of the book where Jesus, the part of the Bible where Jesus had not yet come, promises salvation. Psalm 94, 17 says, if the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have lived in the land of silence. I don't know about you, and I don't know if you can tell from me talking, I do not enjoy silence. But more than it's just the land of silence, this is a place with no loving father to care for you. It is a place where no just judge is to rule over you. There is no righteous God to worship there and there is no savior to save you in the land of silence. It's a place without purpose and that place without purpose is hell and you will spend eternity there if you don't recognize your sins. By God, look, and that's not even just me trying to be fun. Verse four, Paul writes, But God, being rich in mercy because of great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. These verses are saying that it was God. It is God who saves you. It is God who since the beginning of time orchestrated for his son to come and live a perfect life. He would walk the earth, sin not once, but yet die on a cross as payment for our sins. It was his plan to save humanity through the perfect sacrifice of his son. What's needed to make us clean, needed to cover us. Think about it. Paul is saying that Christ's life happened so that the one true God would hang on a cross for you to be holy and right relationship with him if you trust and follow him. You have to acknowledge your sin. You have to understand what Christ did for you on that cross. And this is so beautifully put. Billy Graham, who was an incredible evangelist, he said, the motive of grace is the infinite, compassionate love of a merciful God, but the work of grace was death of Christ on the cross. Verses eight, let's read it together. For it is by grace we have been saved through faith. 
Woo! And it is not of your own doing. Again, big woo. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul is explaining that it's nothing you or I did to get us to redemption. It didn't, it's not perfect attendance in Sunday school. It's not saying, oh, I led a family group in college. It's not, oh, I was an intern. That's not it. It's not gonna matter when you're standing before God on judgment day, what you did. You're going to have to look at him and say, Christ has saved me. I have been adopted by you. And now I stand here as a daughter of, the son, of you. Like I am your daughter through your son. That's all that's gonna matter. The attendance you have in Sunday school, the ways in which you try to be holy are not gonna count if you haven't asked Christ to be your savior. And so with that, we are giving good grace, good gifts of mercy. If you've been saved, you know that this life is joyful and it's abundant and there are so many wonderful things that we get to enjoy. If you haven't, I want you to know that death is waiting for you after death and it is eternal and it is, I've, I, just, I pray right now that if you are not saved, if you do not know Jesus, I pray that you would not hear another word of this service, but that you would wrestle with God and say, Lord, I need you. I can't make this life without you. I can't do one more breath without you. And that's just what I wanna pray right now. And so we have, and Lord, you're in control. All right. If you are a believer, if you have trusted in the good news of Jesus, you know that this life, this eternal life starts now. Okay, Emma, this eternal life starts now, but where, where's the church? Well. It's so cool because God already thought of that. Salvation brings us into new identity and this new identity is called union with Christ. When we are saved, we are brought together with Christ and we are one. And that means that we are one with everything he is. So let's look in verses 12 through 14 of Ephesians 2 because it points us to a picture of marriage. Let's read it. It says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has brought down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This but now resembles what we read in verse four, which says, but God. It's his doing that you were saved, and now it is his calling you to be brought near. And verse 14 says that we are brought near and we are made both one. And when I think of that, I think of both one, I translate it in my head to two become one, and I immediately think of the princess bride. So if you will, please don't let me embarrass myself alone. Let's say this together. Mowage. Mowage is what brings us together today. Thank you, that made me feel so much better. So Ephesians 5, this picture, this promise of Christ being the, like the church being the bride is told in Ephesians 5.23. The church is called the bride of Christ. And so if we are made one with Christ through salvation, we are made one with Christ through the marriage of his church. So marriage calls for commitment, not many of us know, but the Bullocks, you just got married. And the Rollins, where are you at? They just got married. It calls for commitment, correct? I'm not married, so I just had to ask. So, but <laughs> imagine with me for a second, you go up to Adam and you say, Adam, I just gotta tell you, I love your preaching, man. I think you can make a mean cup of coffee and sometimes you play a good golf game. But Adam, Jillian, I just don't think she's not necessary. Like, you use her in a sermon every so often. And one time, Adam, I went to Chick-fil-A and I saw her and I waved and I remembered her name even. And I waved and she didn't give me my lunch for free. Can you believe that? 
All right, so that's the scenario. Two things are gonna happen if that ever occurs. Please don't let it. Two things are gonna happen. The first, you won't wanna be in arm's reach of Adam Tarver, just number one. Number two, you won't wanna be in arm's reach of me because I love Jillian so, so much. But we say that and we laugh, but we have to think it's what we do with church. Jillian's importance is not solely based in the fact of what she offers, but it's in who she is. And the church is not important just because of what it offers, but because of what it is. Of course, Adam would not be okay with you saying something about his bride. Why? Because Adam would die for Jillian. When they got married a couple years ago, he committed to, being, to loving her to the point of death. Even more, Christ has already died for the church. Yes, he died for you, and yes, he died for me if we are saved believers, but more than that, he also died for the church to be able to gather and worship him and glorify him forever and ever on this earth and then in eternity in the kingdom of heaven. It's crazy to think that Jillian is only necessary when she can do something for you. And I really wanna be careful with this next part and I wanna come at it with gentleness because I know that church hurt is real. I've experienced it. And that's, I just want you to know that I'm sorry. If you have been hurt by people who work in the church, who, who go to your church, who have said they're strong believers and they've hurt you, I'm sorry. It's not what God intended for the church. And so I want us to pray that tonight we would change that instead of, and say instead of church, the church hurt me, this person who is a sinner just like me hurt me. And that's when we recognize the continual need for Christ. And so in all of that, I do want to come at it with gentleness, but I also wanna warn you, if we look at our lives and we say, okay, I, read my, I did my quiet time every morning, I, it's not, the church isn't my vibe, I really don't like the songs, like if we nitpick and choose what we want in a church and we don't go to church because it's our preference, we're saying to Christ, I don't love your bride. I don't love what you consider yourself one with. On Sunday, Josh talked about our hearts coming from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. And when you have a heart of flesh by Christ, it beats for what Christ's heart beats for, and that is the church. He died for the church to bring glory to his name forever and ever, and he calls us to commit to the church so that he can show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And these immeasurable riches and grace that he, Paul wanted to specifically talk to the Ephesians about is in 14. We see that they, he said that there was a dividing wall of hostility that was taken down through Christ's flesh. That was a literal wall, people. In the temple, there was a wall there that separated Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And Paul wants them to know that the unity displayed that, has, that happens when we have a relationship with Christ is the unity that should happen when we gather together as believers. We are meant to connect, commit to a local church because it shows that we are committed to Christ by faithfully committing to his bride, which is the body of Christ, the church. So we come to church because Christ has called for commitment. Second point of the night, we come to church because Christ connects the church. He connects it, and we see that in verses 19 through 22. So it's a little bit further down, but you can read it. It says, so then we are no longer strangers and aliens, not like but like um, aliens of like sojourners, that's not the word, people traveling across countries, that's it, okay. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
So we see this connection, we see this imagery of a building throughout this. We see words like foundation and cornerstone, whole structure built together. And Paul is saying, it's not based on anything I did, even though he was one of the biggest missionaries in starting the early church. It is saying that it is through Christ alone that the structure is built. And that's the beauty of the church. A healthy church and the kingdom of God will grow and build and stay strong only if it's built on the foundation of Christ, nothing else. And so engineers, I need you to not judge me here. I need a little grace. I had to look up what the definition of a foundation was, um, but I found a good one. Google was helpful. It says the foundation is the lower portion of a building structure, structure that transfers the building's gravity load into the earth. So today, buildings are essential to have a foundation, yes? Yes, thank you. Back then, the cornerstone was the essential piece. The cornerstone was, would have been the first stone that would have been laid upon and everything else would have been built on it. So if that cornerstone was perfect, nothing was gonna be wrong with that house. It would stay through every storm, through every trial. But if it was off by a millimeter, the house wouldn't stay. And it's so comforting to know that it is not a single human man that is that cornerstone, it is Christ. And the coolest thing about it is that back in the Old Testament, we see again that it is promised that Christ will be this cornerstone. Isaiah 28, 16 says it is the first promise of this. It says, behold, I am the one who has, I, meaning God, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Christ came down to earth to take on the world's sins and not only take on the weight of the world's sins, but he would be the one who would be built, this this church would be built on. It was Christ alone. And his coming's not just for salvation or to fulfill the law. It's so that we can be right relationship with God and so that his kingdom can be built on earth through the local church. It's so cool. So now that we have an understanding of Christ being the establishment of the church, he is the connection of the church, what is he connecting? What is he building? And the rest of Ephesians is painted with more images of what he is building. We know in Ephesians 5 that he is building his collective bride. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16 says he is building and forming his body to which he is the head. He is building the family through the adoption of each believer in Ephesians 5. And in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus promises Peter that he will build the church in which the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against. The church he is building is for the purpose of experiencing and expanding his presence to every nation, tribe, and tongue. And it's not just for here on earth, it is for all of eternity. He connects individual believers to the church through them serving the church with their spiritual gifts. Whether that be teaching or hospitality or exhortation, you are meant to connect to the church through using your gifts that God has already given you. The church is healthy when members are using their spiritual gifts to love and serve the church and to glorify God with all that it is. He also connects the local church to the kingdom of heaven. So one day we won't get to heaven and be like, Oh yeah, I remember you from Prince Spring of 23. Uh-uh-uh, it won't even matter. You're gonna see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation standing there singing to God, holy, 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 worthy is the lamb. That's it. When we join a local church, we are connected to the heart of our maker and we're connected to his desire for earth to be filled with his glory through the gathering of believers. And we should come to church because one, he calls for commitment to the church and two, he connects the church. Finally, you should come to church because Christ cares for the church. He takes care of his bride. He welcomes us, the scripture says, to be saints and members of the household of God. 
And all throughout scripture, we see this. Protection and provision is promised to the Israelites. We just wrapped up Exodus time and time and time again. We see that the Lord protects and provides, protects and provides for the Israelites. But because of Jesus, it's not just for the Israelites, it's for you and for me. And these promises are recorded in the Old Testament. Habakkuk 2.14 says, for the earth, the earth, meaning the whole earth, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and the waters cover the sea. Hosea 23 says, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And they, he shall say, you are my God. Y'all, this, this is huge. It's been promised for years that Christ would care for us. Christ would protect us. Christ would provide for us if only we trust in him. One really practical way that I've seen this is in the care and protection that he has had for Prince. A couple years ago, COVID came through and we had no idea what was gonna happen. Through COVID, after being isolated for months, we came together and the church grew rapidly because believers knew they needed to be together. His care for us is also shown through the church and the relationships we have with believers versus the relationship non-believers have with one another. And I really saw this for the first time in big, big scale um, when we went to Manchester over spring break. Um, a couple of the college ladies and I got to go to a version of Tea Time. I know you see it in the group chat, but it's a version of Tea Time where 20 uh, Pakistani Muslim women gather and they help people in need. They serve uh, meals once a week. They give coats. They pray for each other. They talk with one another about their kids and what's going on. And all that happens. And so we walked in with the intention of saying nothing about Jesus because we needed to build a good relationship with them. But we were told that if, we, if they asked a question, we could answer it. The first question they asked us is where we were from. And the second question they asked us is, are you Christians? Look at God just opening doors. Anyway, it was amazing. So we laughed with these women. We had so much fun with these women. We did breathing exercises and we learned dances and it was just an amazing time with them. And they were so kind but we left there with this heaviness and this weight. They hugged us on our way out after feeding us and they said, we feel like you're our daughters now. They said that they felt like we were their daughters and it was one of the most overwhelming days because you're sitting there knowing that they have no eternal hope and nothing to build that family that they said they had on. We went and we went to another room as the girls who went on the trip who are believers and we just sat there and we cried because we were like, they're not, they don't have anything. The hope that they have right now is not going to last forever. The things that they get to pray with one another for are going to somebody who is not even there. And yet we have a God who loves us and has gave, given us the community of believers to love and cherish and to pray for one another and to fight with one another and to just show all the love that Christ did. And we got to see that the next day. So the next day we went to Lucho and Lillian Sanchez, which are our mission partners there. And while we were there, we got to have cake for Lillian's birthday. And it was just an incredible time. And while you may not recognize their face in a crowd, I, I am not the Lord, so I cannot guarantee it, but I will put money that they are standing in heaven and you will see them and you, you will just hear them singing to God. And even though you don't know them, and even though you may not be able to recognize their face, we were able to sit with them and pray with them and know that even though they're so far, thousands of miles away, that the God who made us made them. The God who loved and saved us loved and saved them. And so we were able to sit, and yes, we did cry that night too. And we got to hug them and care for them, and they are our family because of Christ alone. 
I've seen this care for me personally through Prince. I've seen this when I couldn't drive for a couple years, or a couple, I wasn't years, a couple years ago, I could not drive. And when I was not able to drive, there was always a Prince member there to pick me up and took me, take me wherever I needed to go. There has also been times when I went to Boston and I pursued a lot of my own desires there and I had hard conversations with people who convicted me of my sin and told me that I needed to follow Jesus more closely. That was care. I saw his care for me in the church or through the church when they laid hands on me and prayed over the apprenticeship. I've seen his care for me through the discipleship from women like Amy Pye and Jillian Tarver and um, Teresa Allen and Miss Suzanne Carter. I've seen those things. I have seen the joy and the care that comes when we get to celebrate baptisms on Sunday, a visible picture of somebody going from death to life. That is Christ caring for the church and we just have to recognize it. God cares for his bride, his body, his building, his family. He cares for it all. And before we look at our final thing, the band can come on up. But the last thing I wanna look at is Ephesians 2, verse 22. Let's read it again. It says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Why do we come to church? We come to church because if we are a believer in God who sent his perfect son, we want to be with his Holy Spirit. It's just what our heart beats for. We as the body are meant to be the dwelling place of God on earth. We make up the temple where the Spirit of God lives and breathes in us every single day. And when we get together as the church, we get to experience the continuation of his glory and his worship together. And it doesn't just start when you get a diploma in a couple years. And it doesn't just start when you have a kid and you want that kid to have good moral values. It starts now. I really don't want our generation to miss this, that we are part of the church and we can walk confidently into loving and serving and leading in the church. It's not for super Christians. It's not for people who are just called to vocational ministry. Participating in the church is something that Christ wants you to do. And my plea to you is the same. Please, first, come and trust and follow Jesus. It's the best life ever. It really is. It's hard, I promise you that. But it is so satisfying to know that we are eternally secure. So once you've trusted and followed Jesus, come to church. Join a local church. Join this church. It's one of the healthiest ones I've seen. If you don't want to join this church, find another one. Find a healthy church. Join it. Love it. Be a part of it. Come and serve. Come and give what you have. If that's your talents, give them by serving as an intern. If that's your tithe, even if it's your free sandwich that you got walking in, give it to the church. Give whatever you have. Come and be protected by God with the gathering of his people. Come and receive the blessing of gathering with the saints. These are joyful nights, people. They're my favorite nights of the week. Sundays are the best mornings, but these are the best nights of the week. Come and love sacrificially. Come and hold a baby or hug a kid. Come and walk through life with a teenager because the Lord knows they need it because you needed it too. Come and find a set of old people and let them pour wisdom over you and know that the wisdom they're giving in return, you can give excitement and fun. This is a place where God wants you to be. Please come to church because Christ calls for commitment and he alone connects the church and he cares for this place. So let's pray.